With the completion of the first fully private mission to the International Space Station recently, we thought it was worth having a think about the future of commercialization of space stations. And with that in mind, we're talking to two members of the Think Orbital team, co-founder and CEO Sebastian Esprella and VP of Technical Development Jim McConnell to find out all about their plans for commercial space stations. Please keep in contact with us at Space and Things 1 on Twitter and at Space and Things Podcast on Instagram and Facebook or via the contact form on our website. And please leave us a review if you enjoy what we do. We'd love to get to 100 five-star ratings by our 100th show. So go and do it or just sit back and enjoy episode 88 of the Space and Things podcast. You're listening to Space and Things with Dave Giles and Emily Carney. I'm Emily Carney. And I'm Dave Giles. And welcome to episode 88, which we recorded last week because... Emily is off in Houston for a training week with her new job with Celestius, and I'm busy in London enjoying the events organised by Christina Corp for Space for a Better World. Unfortunately, that means no news and sports in this week's podcast, but I promise we'll catch up next week. But that does mean that we can get straight into this week's interview. In episode 85, we spoke about Axiom Space and their plans to build a private space station and focused on their first crew mission to the ISS. Well, that got us thinking about the future of commercial space stations. Currently, the ISS is due to be decommissioned in 2030, uh, probably somewhere over the Pacific Ocean. And NASA have said they want the private sector to fill the void. So today we're talking to two members of one of the teams which are trying to do just that. Think Orbital are developing the Orb2, a large, scalable and cost efficient orbital spaceport which can be used for a variety of different tasks. So we're joined today by Sebastian Esprella, co-founder and the CEO of Think Orbital. He has over 25 years of leadership and entrepreneurship experience across business management, IT, pharma and aerospace sectors, leading complex multinational transformation and digitalization programs. We also have Jim McConnell, Vice President of Technical Development. Jim has over 40 years of research and development experience working with aerospace leaders, including Boeing, exotic metals forming company Tethers Unlimited, uh, Altius Space Machines, and Consensus Technology. So let's do this. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I'm going to start with a question for Sebastian. Let's go to the very beginning. When was Think Orbital started? And are the objectives different now than they were at the very beginning? Thanks for having us once again. It's an absolute pleasure. Uh, Think Orbital started in uh, late February, early March last year. And the origins of Think Orbital are, are, are threefold. One is the founding thesis, which is being able to assemble infrastructure in orbit or real estate in orbit. I'm, I'm sure we'll, have it, we'll get a chance to talk about that in a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the uh, the personal interest and ambition of solving some of the most challenging engineering aspects of being able to access space and broadening access to space, um, that's the second one. And the third one um, is to do, at, at least at the personal level, 
I'd love to go out into space, but I, I strongly believe that giving access to humanity, to, to a larger set of humanity, certainly larger than what we have done so far, can help spur a change in our consciousness, in our minds. And I, know, I know it sounds a little bit esoteric, but I, trust me, I've, I've been through this thought process quite a lot. And, and I'm not the first one who talks about this. We, we talk about uh, to astronauts also how, you know, Frank Knight has coined the, uh, the overview effect. Um, so I strongly believe by, by giving that extra access, maybe we should send all the G20 members <laughs> up into space, really to try and bring humanity closer together, you know, to try and realize that we're, we're, we're one with nature, we're one with ourselves, and, um, and we should be more conscious about that, you know, uh, and look after each other a bit more. In terms of the objectives, we have a number of uh, 12 objectives, which are internal objectives within Think Orbital. Um, and the objectives, they, they do move, and, and I think that is natural, especially when it comes to a startup. What hasn't changed, uh, it's our vision and our mission, which is more or less what I have outlined before. Now, in terms of our objectives, um, I would cluster them in, in three areas. So one of them is to ensure that the, uh, that the products that we're developing from a feasibility standpoint, from a technology standpoint, they're achievable. And, you know, there's a lot of hurdles that I'm sure we're going to come across. And, uh, and that's why we have such a depth of aerospace engineering, starting from Jim McConnell and, and Ryan and, and, and many other team members. Uh, but for sure, you know, we're building the technology from the ground up. The second, the second cluster of objectives are to do with the market, the market, the customers, understanding, you know, how do we feed in that environment? What added value we can bring in? There are not enough data points to have, a, a, you know, a strong signal. So it's like having a finger on the pulse every day. And, and the third cluster of objectives is really to stand up the team, to stand up the team, to stand up Think Orbital, to make sure that we are going concern, that we operate um, you know, we operate successfully and, and effectively as much as we can. And also space, it's, you know, it's a hazardous environment. So we're looking at safety emission assurance. Mm. Uh, we're looking at having the standards and the processes in place and the procedures in place to go ahead. And ultimately, to be able to bring all of that together, to be able to deliver uh, a number of products that we have identified so far. And again, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about them a little bit more. Well. But I would say that's where we stand so far. And, and it's been such a blast. The, the Ivan Emilis. I could have never imagined um, how wonderful the aerospace industry is, how wonderful the people in the aerospace industry is, how much passion we have come across. And um, and I think ultimately we all want to go to space, you know, uh, we, yeah. we all want to be able to give that spark of a sensation of adventure that there is something out there for us to go and explore. And I think it's probably even in our DNA. So were there any like space figures, anybody, you know, notable in the aerospace industry, past, present, future, uh, <laughs> future that inspired <laughs> you guys to do this? Since I'm a child, I, I look up to the stars. Sometimes I even feel I kind of belong there, which is, I would say is a bit weird, but I, I put my hand up. I may be a little bit weird myself. I had a few of the astronauts that really caught my attention, but I think overall was this sense of human endeavor and human ingenuity that really fascinated me. My brain does operate on, to some extent, on the sort of engineering side, on the business side, and on, on the on the sort of human mind side. So it's it's sort of looking at it from the perspective of so many thousands of people that have come together to be able to achieve something that many have considered impossible and at the pace that we have gone forth. And, and I keep repeating myself that we're standing in the shoulder of giants, you know, the Mercury, 
all the people who have stood up the early aerospace industry, going all the way through the through the shuttle area era, and and what we've seen today. And if I was to fast track a little bit, it's difficult not to get inspired by what the likes of SpaceX and and Elon Musk and and um, you know Hans Koenigsmann and Thomas Mueller and Lee Rosen and and all of these guys that you know have really changed the I would say to a large extent the future of humanity. And equally, you know, having access to, you know, direct access to some of the advisors we have on the team. And, uh, and one of them has actually gone to space. He's, he's, an, he's an astronaut, six times to space. He's the highest number of commandeering missions. He's uh, Commander Jim Weatherby. And, and all of our advisors just amazing. And having the chance to talk to somebody who has been to the Russian space station and to the International Space Station, I have such an admiration for him. And, and you know, they're mm. all cool, calm and collected. You know the, the the right stuff, as they used to call it, and I'm I'm just so impressed with the level of humility that that they have. So, so that's me. What about you, Jim? Yeah, I I can chime in just just for a little bit. I'm an engineer, and I hate to admit it, but in terms of people that have inspired me, I can't add any names. For me, it's visual. I'm a very visual person, and my inspiration is actually watching an old black and white TV with somebody stepping on the moon. And so my inspiration is not necessarily people-centric, but more, as I could say, more visual. I've got to be there. I've got to be part of that. My career started, you know, out in space and, and, and working on the real hardware. And there's always been this, we can do it type of feeling that I have. So that's not a great answer because I can't say these are the people who are inspiring me to go on. I think everything that is happening now is just phenomenal, but it's been our destiny ever since we took that first step off on and shared that around the world on little black and white TVs that were as deep as they are wide, um, you know, the old boxes, um, you know, so I'm driven more by it's just our destiny and I'm going to be part of it. I love that. I love that a lot. Right, let's uh, let's get on to. And while we're talking to you, Jim, uh, let's have a question. That I think is is probably more your field. So tell us about the space station uh, and the, the lower Earth orbit habitats and the new technologies that Think Orbital will utilize. It's just been May the fourth, which has got me wondering: Is it going to be like the Death Star? <laughs> um, well, our first firm contract is with the Air Force, doing a space-based weapon system that will obliterate everything else in orbit. So yes, no, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> that that is, that is not true. Um, <laughs> I think in terms of the the orb two, which is the name for uh, our space station, it's really really cool. And the reason I'm involved in Think Orbital is in terms of new technologies, we're drawing on a a wealth of existing technologies. We're just applying them in a new way. Mm. So that's really what we're doing. And we're, in essence, changing the paradigm of what it means to be in like low Earth orbit. I mean, the new space economy is built on CubeSats and NanoSats and internet connections and things like that. Uh, we're looking at actually people. Okay, we're talking about moving off. I mean, Starship is great for getting huge mass up in orbit and for ultimately going to Mars. I don't think it's actually the kind of thing that will, this is going to sound like heresy, <laughs> get us off the planet. We need to have places to be. We need to have huge masses of people. And Starship is transportation system. 
It's the bus that gets you places, but you've yeah. got to have houses. You've got to have housing, warehouses, manufacturing spaces, all of those things up there. And that's what we're targeting. Mm. So in terms of the technology, we're taking advanced welding technology and robotics and everything else and putting it together in a way that provides what we believe is really needed for stepping off the planet. So we've got some questions from some of our Patreon subscribers, and this one Mm -hmm. feels relevant to discuss now. Rish has asked, will you be able to group Orb 2s together to create larger stations and infrastructure, or are there plans to build larger versions? So like Jim was saying, our current technology is to be able to master assembling infrastructure in space. Now, to be able to get to large infrastructure connected with tethers where you can simulate some of the uh, microgravity that you have on the moon and Mars, there is a technology roadmap that we have defined with the team. So yes, in short answer, the eventually we're looking at clustering a number of org twos for them to be able to provide very, very large volume. I mean, one early product um, that we are developing currently at the moment on paper and with some designs and some architecture behind it can have about 16,000 cubic meters. Just to put you in perspective, the ISS is 900 cubic meters. Wow. So this is huge. This mm. is really, really big. And, and there's a few ways you can get around it. And one of the ways we thought about it, in fact, is to have four Orb 2s interconnected with tethers and also, you know, sharing some of the, uh, the, the substack of technologies and capabilities that we need, like power and radiators and what have you. But the question is, how do you get there, right? So how do you, how do you take those first steps? And this is, I think, what's important on, on how we're focusing and uh, developing that technology. As I mentioned, looking at the market, engaging with some of our early customers. We have some some prospective customers of letters of intent. And what we want to focus on is once we have proof that we can weld, that we can assemble a sphere, let's say a shell in space, then uh, our first product would be to augment existing free flying space stations to be able to provide them with additional real estate at a much more reduced cost for perhaps storage, maybe for entertainment activities, maybe for shooting a film, something that they would have had to be quite constrained when it came to budget. Now, once that is completed, we have gone through the full cycle of the minimum technology stack for us to have Orb 2s going to the next generation. And the next generation is to be able to provide a module that you can perform in space servicing, manufacturing, and assembly activities. And this could be perhaps for assembling, um, you know, a large space asset that otherwise you have to go through so much qualification and testing that we've seen recently with the James Webb Telescope because there's vibrations, there are G-forces when when it gets launched. And instead, perhaps you can have smaller parts and assemble them up there. At the same time, you could be servicing some of those assets. You could Mm -hmm. be repairing some of them. You could even be recycling them as well. So that's our second product. Now, the third product, a little bit more down the road, will be the first full free-flying space station, uh, where you have all the capabilities required to sustain human life. And there we're looking at Leo and perhaps some other orbits as well. And then finally, our last product, it's the one that we, we started, or perhaps the answer to the question, yes, the, the plan would be to, to grow as the technology grows, to grow as the market grows and then take the technology to to where the uh, the needs are and, and the pain points of our customers. 
Talking of which, we've had a question from Daniel Gillies, another one of our patrons, a new new patron. Welcome, Daniel. And he's Welcome. got actually a couple of really great questions. First, based on what you just said about customers, what do you see as your main source of revenue at the moment? And this all sounds very expensive. Do you have a kind of total cost for what it's going to be to get one of these things up there? Or will you just keep going until it happens? No, I, I, I think that's a great question. Um, we don't believe in build it and they will come. <laughs> so this is the reason why very early on, since we stood up in Corvital, we started engaging with the initial customers that we felt would benefit and have value from our products. We are having a conversation with some of them in terms of how much we can disclose, but we do have uh, at the moment four letters of intent. These are obviously non-binding, but this is an early indication that they're interested in our products. And the wow. products that they're interested, they cover mostly the product number one and two. So the yeah. annex sphere to a free flying space station and this sort of awesome debris management thing platform number two. Uh, in terms of cost, yes, I mean, this can be extremely expensive if we do things as they have been done before. For example, Dave or Emily, if you wanted to have uh, you know, a car built uh, specifications only for you, I mean, that car itself would cost you probably 700 million or depending how complicated it may be, you know, it can cost you quite a lot of money. And I mean, I may it's not the best analogy, but this is somewhat how most of the spacecraft have been built. Yeah. They have been built for a one-off, perhaps with a duplicate to keep here on Earth. And this is extremely expensive. And where we see the game changer when it comes to, um, for example, the work that the likes of SpaceX have done, obviously a fully reusable rocket, that, that would be um, a killer app. But their focus is industrializing the process of manufacturing. It's not that it's easy to design a product and do the first prototype. I'm not saying it is easy, but it's extremely hard to be able to build a product at, at scale and to be able to scale that product and that manufacturing capabilities. Once you do that, then you have the economies of scale and overall you can bring the cost down. So if we want to do the things as we have done in the past, you know, we would not be doing what we do now. I mean, to me, it would not be inspirational. It would be kind of evolutionary but not revolutionary what we've going now is a cost killer so that's why we're looking at a technology that can be flat pack with a single launch mm-hmm. um that can, you know therefore can be un- unshackled from from the uh, t- tyranny of the rocket fairing and the payload we're looking at manufacturing most of the items at scale yeah and then looking at you know being able to provide fairly high volume in terms of what we have seen historically so once you start coupling all of this then you you're get to a position where we may be able to bring down the cost at least by a magnitude compared with um, some of the other you know, providers of like space stations. But the, the most interesting thing that I see is that, and we get that question asked sometimes, maybe it's, it's already in the queue, but you know, who are your competitors? And so far we, we see no competitors, we see potential collaborators and customers. And I know perhaps it sounds a little bit cliche, but ultimately we are providing something that we've not seen so far. And the companies that are building their space stations currently, they could benefit at least for Think Platform One and beyond as well. Um, so to that extent, uh, we're working uh, hard with the team to look at what are the biggest cost drivers that we have and really f- focus really hard on them and look at them in a way, not only how we can you know, change the paradigm in terms of you know, hard or deep tech engineering, but also looking at it in terms of the future, when Starship is online, what capabilities can we leverage on with Starship uh, within this new paradigm that we have not been able to do in the past? That's really uh, so with these two things in mind, 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, we, we strongly believe that we will be able to provide a, a product at the cost that we've not seen before. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. I I love the the collaboration, not competition idea. That that approach, to all these amazing companies together, that they can all work together. They don't have to all be doing things separately. And you can all, and I, I guess that's part of your design as well. With the fact that it can be added on to other space stations. It doesn't have to just be a think orbital station. Right. It can be connected uh, based on what I've said. So Daniel has another question, which which is also really great actually he says uh do you plan to do any demonstrations on a smaller scale first uh similar to what axiom has just done i guess do you plan to launch modules to the iss before doing either your own first full station or do you think your first add-on will be to a commercial partner rather than to nasa first of all in terms of our development plan as trying to be a an actual company that it can actually survive we are focusing very much on developing products that being said there is a lot of technology validation that needs to happen so part of our roadmap does include on-orbit demonstration of the technologies that we're doing the question that we are and i will be honest working through right now as we go because we are are developing is is that on-orbit demonstration a saleable product right and that is a perfectly viable, you know, reasonable question. It depends on how the timing goes. When you look at historical timeframes for developing new products and getting them out into space and doing that, it's a very long time. You know, it takes decades to get something done. And we're not looking at decades. We're looking at very fast development, trying to change that paradigm. The ISS disappears in 2030. That's only eight years from now. So, you know, the idea of are we going to put something up and add it to the ISS, I'm not sure that's a value-added proposition. There are a number of space stations being proposed that will be orbited. All of them right now are current paradigm uh, space stations. They're geared, they have, you know, sort of customers lined up. They're going to be labs. They're going to be this. They're going to be that. The idea of large volume is not something that is out there right now in the market. So, and one of the really cool things is as we have our discussions with other players, they're saying, wait, if we have that, we could do this. The use mm-hmm. cases are developing as we go. Getting back to the question at hand, um, yes, a, a smaller demonstration of our technology is something that we will likely need to do. Our focus right now is trying to develop products that people need and will use. And if we launch something up just to show we can weld a sphere, but it's too small to be useful, we have to evaluate whether that's appropriate for us to do. You you discussed this a little bit in the last question, but what is the timeline for these projects? Yeah, that's a great question. So we are currently working on four products. And these four products, one is a little bit more immediate. We're looking at selling, let's say, the first product in 2025 for it to be launched and commissioned in 27. The second product would be a few years down the road. We're looking at sort of late 20s, early 30s as the in-space servicing, assembling and manufacturing. Then the full habitational model. That's, you know, when we start getting further down the field in terms of technology and time, it gets a bit more fuzzy, but we're looking at mid-30s. And this sort of colossal sort of think that from four space stations, 16,000 cubic meters, that's certainly going to be more towards the late 30s. In any case, so how do we get to a situation where we have a product uh, that is suitable, that goes through the qualification process, testing and, and final commissioning? 
what we try to do is to chop the activities or the sprints into uh, clusters of so-called value-added milestones. So for example, if we take the first product, Think Platform One, we are aiming to go as aggressively as we can, but with some principles that are key, especially when it comes to safety and mission assurance. And at the same time, we're going through the sort of funding rounds in a way that when we finish our phase one, which is a terrestrial demo of a combination between the robotic arm and the electronic welding, we would have created some value. And that means we have either bought some machines or created some IP. And at the same time, we would have created some of the interactions, some of the know-how to go to the second phase. And the second phase would be, in this case, the demo of the technology in orbit. And I'm not saying this is a blueprint for how we're going to be doing all the products, but it's more or less in that mindset. Once we get to phase three, we have, we have done the due diligence and the feasibility. We have already gone through the process of um, signing the deals. And we would have been at the stage where more or less like a turnkey solution, we would be completing the product, delivering the product for the product to be operation. Mm-hmm. That's, that's more or less what we have in mind. Okay. So in December, NASA gave grants to three different companies to develop a commercial destination in space, uh, Blue Origin, Nanorax, and Norfolk Grumman. And they're pretty big sums of money as well. My understanding is that you did apply for this. Uh, obviously, you weren't successful. But that process, was that useful for you? Did you learn a lot? And is it something you would do again in the future based on your experience? It was really great for us. So um, maybe to provide some context, because this is this comes up quite a few times. When actually, when the NASA application closed, we were about five months old. And uh, maybe just to give a little bit of insight into the team, we we were somewhat hesitant at that time whether if we should apply or not, because you know you can imagine if we had an idea of who the likely applicants would be already, you know, sort of several decades corporations or fairly well-established startups that would be going for this. And the reason why we went ahead and, and applied for it anyway is because imagine this: you get the best feedback you can have from top professionals in the field for free. I mean, I know the you know, the government you know had to pay for their salaries. So and and when we had meetings with them, we were hoping that we would not waste their time. But they were extremely supportive. They were very encouraging. We had, in fact, the meeting at the very beginning, and we had a meeting on the debrief at the end. And uh, and they were very encouraging. Even you know, very kindly drawing some um, some parallels with the you know with SpaceX, which I thought we were fairly flattered. But you know, we knew the risk that this could entail because we knew we were not going to win. But we wanted to give it our, our, our best shot, nevertheless. But the lessons learned have been very useful. In fact, by the time we had the feedback, because NASA gives you quite a detailed feedback, we, we had already addressed some of the concerns that they, they had raised at the time. So it meant we were also going into, into the right direction as well. Mm. And then just as a final comment, Dave, the other thing to bear in mind is that the CLD, um, and for those that have read the announcement, was very much focused about bridging the gap post-ISS. Um, yeah. You know, NASA and the West generally have a concern uh, to be able to ensure we have continued capabilities in space when it comes to habitational modules. So naturally, and I perhaps, you know, I'm sure in their in their shoes I would have done the same, you go for a fairly risk-adverse solution. You go for tried and tested solutions. You, you go for companies that, you know, have, have some form of track record that have, you know, sort of a l- large bucket of finances in place. And that's how, if you read the details, um, you know, uh, what they were going for. And, and again, I support that and I, and I think it makes a lot of sense. Where, where we come in, we're coming in for, for, you know, with a proposal that is probably not one, but a few generations ahead 
uh, of yeah. what they were aiming for. And we, we've also had a, a question from Ed Raffatz. Okay, always think I'm saying his surname wrong. Anyway, he wants to know. This is <laughs> this is a this is a little bit more day to day operations once it's operational. He wants to know whether you plan on using virtual reality or augmented reality technology or even artificial intelligence to help whoever's on board, the astronauts, to find critical information quickly instead of using more traditional paper or electronic manuals. Have you got to that stage in your development yet? Are you thinking about those kind of things? Or is that a few steps further down? I, I need to get the names of some of your, your patrons. I mean, they're <laughs> they really on the money. Um, I can tell they're not only super smart, but they also know their stuff. And uh, or maybe it's one of our guys <laughs> raising the questions. I'm not sure, but indeed, earlier on, we have engaged with a company that works with uh, AR and VR. They're actually in the uh, nuclear industry, and the idea is twofold. So one, it's to be able to support um, operators in space, which at that time I would imagine there would be commercial, um, commercial, uh, private commercial. I'm not sure what the term is, but like AX1, <laughs> you know, like the pri private astronauts, yeah. uh, as opposed to NASA, NASA astronauts. And for them to be able to have sort of this augmented reality access to content that would otherwise have to have manuals, be able to see real life whenever they need to maybe service uh, one of the subsystems or, or maybe repair them as well. I think that's great. And then when it comes to virtual reality, what we're developing now, we have been invi invited to um, the Space Houston Center. Big shout out to these guys. It's happening on the 9th to the 11th of June, little advert um, in that sense, uh, where we want to provide an immersive experience. The main focus is our stakeholders and customers, so they can see how the product may look like, you know, once it's fully assembled in space. But we will be opening up, uh, certainly when we are called into uh, into events. Um, so these are the first two tech that we have already been working on. Now, when it comes to AI, I was talking to my co-founder about this and, you know, what is AI? Is, are we talking about narrow AI? Is it just machine learning? Are we feeding some algorithms? It's just code. So I'm not going to go perhaps in all of the details, but for sure, what we're looking at is eventually um, the uh, the space platform to be uh, autonomously assembled, mm -hmm. as opposed to well, certainly oper uh, remote operation would not work unless we have laser communication. There will be too much of a lag. Uh, most likely, it's going to be sort of command and control, where you know the next step, you sure is going well, and you press and it keeps going. You know the assembly process. You, some of you guys, if you've not seen it, you can go to our website. But eventually, we would like for this to be able to assemble autonomously. Now. Is that AI? It's just code, I think, you know, with some mm -hmm. input from sensors and what have you. But if in the future we have some autonomous AI system that, you know, can assemble and operate and do all the qualification and also the structural analysis, I mean, that would be great, but maybe overkill at this stage. One of the things that we're doing, at least for our early products, is we're leveraging existing technologies, okay, yeah. but using them in a new way. I doubt that we will become leaders in the AI industry and on the cutting edge, but we will use every tool that's out there to make our product work. So in terms of autonomous assembly, yes, you don't want to have to launch and then wait until you're over ground stations. You've got arrangements with, so you can actually do things. You know, it, we want it to be basically fire and forget. You launch and now you have a station. Those are the two steps that the customers get. So we will be obviously taking advantage of things. We don't have an AI roadmap at this point. Even the, the manufacturing of the, the pieces that we need to send up and stuff like that, all of that is going to be informed by state-of-the-art 
in every system that we can think of. And back in terms of the thing that triggered this was the discussion of whether we're going to have use paper or not. We could conceivably take one of our flat pack panels and have it be made out of instruction manuals if we wanted to, but we will not do that. We will likely use computers for all of that, yeah. that type of thing. I think Orbital, the focus is on these four products um, because the four products serve a particular market and serve some of the earlier customers that we have been engaging with. But ultimately, you could see also Think Orbital as a portfolio of technologies and solutions. And the way we looked at this, and I generally like to see things in threes. You may have seen, you know, three clusters. Um, <laughs> so we, we <laughs> that's how my brain works. So uh, we, we looked at three groups of technology, and one of them is around digital solutions. And as I mentioned, it's the robotic controls, also the automated welding, make sure that the the platform itself, it's, moni it's monitored for its healthy operations and that mostly going to be code, not the AI, not at least, not at this stage. Uh, and then there's the hardware design, you know, how we design the panels, the latching mechanisms, power and data. And there's also an, an element around the welding head and integrating all of that in a way that the shell, the outer shell, some of you guys have seen it perhaps on our website or if you, if you can go there, it's thinkorbital.com on how we actually going to be doing micro uh, um, sort of meteorite or you know any type of um, of, of safety uh, when it comes to once the the um, the product is in space and then ultimately is how you integrate all of that with processes and procedures especially when it comes to how do we EV weld in microgravity you know how would we uh, make sure that these sort of these large format panels they actually um, you know come together once the welding process is, is completed how we ensure that you know the the station itself would be operational for the minimum lifespan. So all of this, um, you know, will make up, I think, the portfolio of technologies and solutions. And out of all of that, although I'm, I'm, one, one of my roles has been in AI, I have not seen anything that, that would come closer that we would require for AI at this stage. For sure, we're going to be loading, especially when we come to Think Platform 2, we're going to be loading the, um, the space platform with, you know, sensors and different type of things that will be acquiring a lot of data for us. And, you know, some people say data is like the new the new oil. And with that data, we will be able to understand and also iterate further when it comes to, you know, future manufacturing, future processes, future products. Uh, but from there to AI, perhaps is a, is a long peak. Okay. So where will Think Orbital be in 10 years, 20 years? Uh, tell us about the future y'all envision. And do y'all plan on buying your own uh, social media company? <laughs> <laughs> That would be LinkedIn instead of Twitter. I'm, I'm a little bit more active on LinkedIn. And, and by the way, I, if, if I may, I, I encourage anyone to reach out. I've got a bit of a backlog of messages, but I'd really like to get in touch with, you know, with, with your audience. They've been absolutely fascinating. Now, we envision a future where we're thriving in space. This is what drives us. You know, when, when the going gets tough, you know, when you're facing a, a challenge, um, maybe a technological challenge or, or be able to get through certain certain things in, in, in the work of Think Orbital. It's you know, a feature where not as we, only as we can go to space, not only going there temporarily, but a feature where we can actually leave work and, and also play in space. So that's why we're focusing you know, on Think Platform for being fairly large, where you can accommodate 100 plus people. We also acknowledge, although not AI, we also acknowledge that there would be some some type of, type of robotics that would help us. I mean, we've seen now Tesla releasing Optimus. I think that would be quite handy, especially if you want to have longer term missions. And where we see ourselves in the future is hopefully carving the niche that we're developing at the moment, being able to satisfy our customer needs. Ultimately, 
to me in life since since I'm young it's about reaching win-win outcome a win-win outcome between ourselves and our suppliers our partners our customers our teams and uh, and so long that we reach that I think we will be uh, not only delivering on our mission, but also yeah, at, at an individual level satisfied. You mentioned there uh, about getting involved and getting in contact, which is wonderful. How do you want people to engage with you at the moment? Do you have a brand, like a whole range of merchandise people can buy or anything like that? Because you've got great branding uh, and your visuals <laughs> are great. So like, I think people would like that, right? I'd love a t- Think Orbital t-shirt. And I don't know about you, Emily. Uh, yeah, I'd love a Think Orbital shirt. I like it. <laughs> I will ensure that we will send you a Think Orbital t-shirt. So uh, awesome. the, the questions are so on point because we're about to launch our, our store. Um, right. So um, I think it's going to be a matter of about a week from now. And wow. and, and that will be live on our website. Uh, we will be um, advertising. I use personally a lot more LinkedIn. I'm trying to get into Twitter and Instagram, but LinkedIn is certainly the platform that I use to communicate with uh, with our supporters, our, our advocates. But we got some some really nice products. They're going to be close to cost, and any minor profit will be going to a charity of, oh, wow. of choice by the team. Uh, but we really want to deliver some nice swag, you know, something that when you receive it, you really want to wear it on because it's kind of comfortable and it's good materials. So I, th- I think we cracked it. We, we got a good provider. One of our team members found it, and uh, it's going to be really, really nice stuff. From, you know, from uh, tees, from from hoodies to mugs to to a few things. We're not going crazy, but just a nice lineup to to start off. And mainly black and white. And I have to again put my hand up. My wardrobe is black or white. So <laughs> I keep it very simple, and that's why I thought we can we can start just with those two colors. Awesome. Yeah, I wear mostly black, so I'm good. <laughs> Perfect. Very good. So uh, we'll we'll get them shipped out as as once it passes the the, the quality control. <laughs> this is what you what you like. We'll we'll, we'll definitely send them out. Oh, that's appreciated. But but mostly awesome. what is appreciated is your time today. Thank you so much for telling us about all all that you're doing. This sounds incredible. Absolutely incredible. Emily and I will, will probably talk more about this when you're gone, but this is just a crazy, crazy... It's like the future is now kind of stuff, right? Like All the things that were science fiction, you're making a reality uh, in, in in a near future. So thank you for telling us about that. And, and I can't wait to see what you guys come up with and, uh, and wish you all the best for that as well. And hopefully we'll, be, we'll have another ch- chat in a year or two and you can tell us all about the progress as well. Well, I have a question for both of you, and we normally try to end up with these questions. Like, would you like to go out to space? Absolutely. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Yes. Good, good. Well, we're hoping to one day be able to host all these incredible people that we met along the way are very strong advocates mm-hmm. and maybe having some sort of champagne or some sort of drink that we probably have to sip <laughs> from, <laughs> from, through some strange container, but that's also quite a, an encouragement for us. Mm-hmm. I will. I would love to be there. We have joked before about trying to become the first podcast in space. So you know, why not now? Why not us? Absolutely, absolutely. Exactly. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, and we'll speak to you very soon. Well, I really enjoyed that, Emily. I learned a lot. And yeah, I, I made a couple of notes and there was a few things that, that just popped out for me. One of the things that was really clear to me was how much uh, Sebastian in particular valued team. 
like him being part of mm -hmm. this team. And although he co-founded the company, he seems to really love that team and, and what they're trying to do. He's just so excited about it, isn't he? And I think that's really great to see. Yeah, I like it when they, they emphasize it's not, you know, a one-person show and it's a team effort. This isn't really a criticism. I, 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 I'm afraid to say this because we're going to get a lot of hate <laughs> in our inboxes. But I mean, as much as I like Blue Origin and SpaceX, I, I really love what they're doing. A lot of people associate it with, you know, the main CEO of their company. That's not really a super criticism. It's, it's more how the public perceive it. Correct. Yeah, I didn't want to say the media because I don't even know if it's the media because I don't think the spaceflight media does it. I think it's how the public yeah. perceives it. Exactly. But um, I love the fact that this is a CEO who's very much emphasizing, okay, it's, you know, I'm not really trying to be a celebrity or trying to be a front person. This is a huge team effort. And we got, you know, a lot of people working in this together to, to you know, with different you know, different people, different companies to try to get this to fruition. I, I totally agree. Yeah. He speaks a good game as well. You know, it's all the things we want to hear, um, you know, and he's just having so much fun with it, which is great. But he also, he knows the industry, you know, he was, t t the way he mentioned the names of the people who developed SpaceX and things like that, he knows what's gone in the past and is inspired by it. And he's taking the best of those things and doing his own thing, which I think is great. Um, I loved it when he said the, uh, we, we want to be collaborators, not competitors. I thought that was amazing. But well, the one thing I, t I take away from this is uh, that you were really disappointed that they didn't mention Gerard K. O'Neill. Uh, no, I was sort of... <laughs> it was a leading question, wasn't it? It was a leading question. Uh, yeah, you guys can't see me right now. I have my Gerard K. O'Neill biography, like, right by me. Uh, whenever I'm having, a, like, a kind of a crappy day, I always think, man, what would Gerard K. O'Neill be doing about this, you know? Yeah, I, I, w I don't know. I wouldn't say I was disappointed because I think O'Neill is somebody who is appealing to a certain generation maybe. And I, I honestly really like Jim's answer a lot because he said, you know, visually this is what appeals to me. And I never thought of it like that before. Whereas, you know, and, and yet at the same point, I'm like, you know, I remember all the designs when I was a kid that appealed to me from books, you know, and things that I looked at, I was like, man, you know, that'd be cool to create something similar to that. And another thing that I like too, is that they're, um, they emphasized, you know, they're, they're using sort of technologies that exist, but sort of in a different way, which I really like. Yeah. I like how they're not really trying to reinvent the wheel in a way because it, it's really difficult. It takes probably, oh my God, decades and decades to invent new, brand new technology. I mean, we're seeing, you know, there's a lot of people like, yeah, we got to go to Mars and Mars this and Mars that. And I'm not dis... I, Oh, God, I keep digging myself into these holes where I'm going to get hate emails. But um, I don't hate the idea of going to Mars at all. But there are problems that need to be figured out. Like, how are we going to shield people from radiation? You know, we can't just send gigantic lead shields into space. You know, there are problems associated that we have to kind of nip in the bud before we go to Mars or before we do certain things. And what I like is that they're sort of doing it in sequential steps. They're not just saying, OK, we're going to do this. But we haven't invented the technology yet. They're sort of like, okay, we have technology we can use and we can do this in sort of steps. We have different products that have different, you know, steps, which I really think is a, a, a neat idea. Logical. Yeah, it makes sense. It's logical as well, doesn't it? It's yeah. not a castle in the sky. What they've done is they've looked at the gaps that exist and said, how can we fill them? We need manufacturing in space. 
on a large scale. Yeah. We need that to happen. Yep. And they're trying to figure out how to do it. And it can already happen. It just hasn't been done yet. Mm -hmm. So we need that. We need these bigger spaces and we need these things to be able to be joined together easily. So, and I hopefully autonomously, if you can make that happen, it can all open up massively and allow us to do a lot more. And that's what they're trying to do. I think it's great. I really think it's great. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, if you'd want to get involved with Think Orbital, there'll be links in the show notes as always. And the full unedited video it was a long interview. The full unedited version is going to be on our Patreon page. It was great spending time with, with Sebastian and Jim. I hope we get to see them in game. I hope we get some updates. As I said in the podcast, I really hope we get to do that. Yep. Yeah, me too. That sounds exciting. So that's it for this week. We'll be back next week with all the news and sport as well as some kind of interview or some kind of feature. We hope that you enjoyed this interview, uh, but please let us know. This was a, a different kind of interview for us, I think. Uh, so let us know if you'd like to hear more of this kind of thing and we'll do our very best. You can contact us via all our social medias or on our website, which is spaceandthingspodcast.com. And if you have enjoyed it, please leave us a review or press the share button. That will really help us out. But don't forget, in space, no one can hear you, me. Space and Things has been brought to you by And Things Productions. <laughs>